0: We are in a sermon series called, It's Good! Everybody put your hands up like a field goal and say, It's Good! Yeah! It's not a miss. It didn't go wide. It didn't go short. It is good, and we're talking about the gospel. The gospel is good. The message of Christ, His death and resurrection, is literally called the Good News. It is capital T-V, Good News. And we've been reminding ourselves of that and celebrating that, Because we live in a world where people aren't so sure. They think that organized religion, Christianity specifically, has some explaining to do. And we want to field those questions lovingly, respectfully, and responsibly and say, no, no, no. We hear what you're saying, but we still believe it's good. And we want to equip ourselves to have those conversations and to be the light of Christ in the world when we leave uh, our times of worship like this. So what we've been doing is we've been listening to Paul's encouraging words to the church in Thessalonica, the, the letters that we have in the New Testament books of First and Second Thessalonians. And we've been listening to those, just, just letting the words wash over us and think about how encouraging they might have been for that church and how they can be encouraging for this church as well. And then going along with that, we have been equipping ourselves to hear some of the criticisms, the critical questions that non-believers might have for people of faith. And just taking one specific issue or question each week and hearing it and responding, like I said, faithfully to it and equipping ourselves to answer in a way that is respectful, and gentle and loving. And that's what we're going to continue to do this morning. So we're just going to jump right into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. At the end of Thessalonians chapter 4, the Paul is responding to a question that the church had about, you know, we're waiting for the return of Jesus, but what about some of our members of the church who have died? Uh, Does that mean, like, when Jesus returns, they don't get to celebrate in that joyful reunion and the restoration of uh, all things? Paul says, no, 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 don't worry about that. The People who have died in Christ, they're going to be just fine. And what we're going to hear in chapter 5 is kind of the continuation of that explanation. It's sort of like a conversation that's already... In progress, we have to remember that when we read the New Testament letters, we're kind of reading somebody else's mail. Uh, It's a conversation between uh, a church, a church leader, that we need to understand its context. So you may not have these same questions, but they did. What I want you to notice while we hear, especially the first part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is that it conveys a certain worldview, a certain understanding about how the world works and God's specific and caring and direct involvement in how the world works. So pay attention for that. And then toward the end of the chapter, it's almost like Paul's running out of paper as he's writing his letter, like, oh, I got running out of space. I got to say these things real quick. You're to kind of like a rapid-fire list of encouragements and instructions. So that's what we're going to hear as we listen to this together. But just everybody take a deep breath and prepare to receive these words from Scripture as a letter of encouragement from somebody who knows you and loves you and cares about you and is invested in your faith staying strong in a world where it's not always uh, encouraging or rewarded to follow Christ. Listen to these words now from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, you don't need further instruction from us or anyone else for that matter regarding how the seasons and the times will play out. That's because you know the truth well enough. The day of the Lord will race onto the scene and surprise us like a thief in the night. People will be going about their business chanting, all is well, all is at peace. And in the next moment ruin and destruction will suddenly seize them as labor pains grip a woman about to give birth. From them there will be no escape. My brothers and sisters, it will be different for you. You do not dwell in the darkness so that the day will not surprise you. Like a thief. For you are all children of light. You are sons and daughters of the day. We are not created of night, nor are we owned by darkness. So then let's not give in to sleep or wander around in stupor as some do, but let's stay awake and in control. You see, sleepers sleep through the night and drunkards drink the night away. But since we belong to the day, we should stay sober and in control covered with the breastplate of faith and love and helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us, his chosen, to face his wrath, but to be the heirs of salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed, the liberating King who died for us. So regardless of whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. So support one another. Keep building each other up as you have been doing Brothers and sisters, we ask you to show appreciation to those who are working hard among you and those who are your leaders as they guide and instruct you in the Lord. They are priceless. When you think about them, let it be with great love in your heart because of all the work they have done. Let peace live and reign among you. Brothers and sisters, we strongly advise you to scold the rebels who, have, who devote their lives to wreaking havoc, to encourage the downcasts, To help the sick and weak, and to be patient with all of them. Make sure no one returns evil for evil, but always pursue what is good as it affects one another in the church, but also all people. Celebrate always, pray constantly, and give thanks to God no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. This is God's will for all of you in Jesus the Anointed. Don't suppress the Spirit. Don't downplay prophecies. Take a close look at everything, test it, and then cling to what is good. Put away every form of evil. So now may the God of peace make you his own completely and set you apart from the rest. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved, kept intact, and wholly free from any sort of blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the anointed. For the God who calls you is faithful. And he can be trusted to make it so. Brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Greet one another warmly with a holy kiss. Here is my charge to you before the Lord. Have this letter read to all our brothers and sisters in the faith. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, God's anointed, be with all of you. And that's Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church. I mean, at least the first one that we have. The second one that we'll begin over here next week. But you can tell that this comes from a place of love, comes from a place of instruction, a place of of having a desire for the church to thrive and to continue to maintain its direction, its path in following Jesus. This morning, the question that we are going to field, we're going to respond to, and, and take seriously that a lot of people will ask and want an answer to, is the question... Hasn't science disproved religion? Hasn't science disproved religion? Isn't The, the argument kind of goes like this, and it's presented in a lot of different forms. But the idea is, we had religion before we had electron microscopes. We didn't really understand how things worked. We did a lot of guessing. We made up a lot of stories to explain the seasons, and, uh, you know, those stories were helpful for a time but because of the scientific advancements that we've seen in the last 100, 200, 500-plus years, isn't religion kind of obsolete? Don't we, can't we just say what we know now sort of makes the things that we believed when we were younger in civilization not necessary, not valuable anymore? There's this common belief that you're either on one side of the issue or you're on the other. You either believe in science or you believe in a creator God. There's a scene in the quintessential Mexican friar turned pro wrestler movie Nacho Libre. Anybody seen the movie Nacho Libre? If you haven't, you need to go see it uh, as soon as possible. It's an excellent movie. It's about these two uh, wrestlers and they're trying to become the best. But they're not any good. They have to start at the bottom. So there's this scene in one of their earlier wrestling matches where Nacho, who like I said, is a, a Mexican Catholic friar, he says to his wrestling partner, who's quite thin, quite inexperienced, his name is Escalito, which stands for what? Escalito? Little little skeleton man? That's kind of how he functions in the movie. He's not great, but there's this moment where they see their opponent and they go, oh man, this is going to be rough. And Nacho leans in and he says, pray to the Lord for strength. And Escalito's response is, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. There you have it. Not that that movie is the voice of a generation by any means, but that is the common dichotomy that you will see. I don't believe in God because I believe in science. You can't believe in God and believe in science. There's kind of a go-to example that people will like to cite from the 16th century, and that is the case of Galileo Galilei. He was condemned by the Catholic Church for vocalizing his belief, his discovery, sort of, that uh, the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. So the popular legend goes like this. Galileo was this scientific-minded person, and he wanted to speak the truth about his discovery and the crusty old church did not want to hear it because it conflicted with a literal interpretation of the Bible that they held. So they tried to silence him. Indeed, he was uh, condemned as a heretic and he was arrested and he spent the rest of his life under house arrest. And the story kind of goes like that. The church has been opposed to scientific discoveries that could threaten its authority, its power, the things that it's teaching that come from scripture. Nod your head if you've heard this story before or heard some version of how this pits science against religion. Well, that happens, but there's some things to keep in mind to kind of debunk the the mythological nature of it, or the way that this is sort of used as a, a poster boy for science versus religion. One thing we need to remember is that Galileo was himself a Christian. He was a believer in God, and the things that he discovered he did out of wanting to know more about the God who created the universe. Two, the church's view on heliocentricity was not uh, actually biblical, but it was more based on Aristotle's model, which does seem to fit in better with some literal interpretation of certain scriptures. And then third, Christians had been exploring a non-literal view of the Bible for centuries before Galilee. It's not like they had just plugged their ears and said, no, 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 we won't listen to new information. It was just one of those Situations and scenes where uh, they were not going to work together and and see how the two complemented each other. But it's not only not true that the church or that Christians are intolerant of scientific discovery. The truth is, actually, many of science's greatest uh, discoveries were made by Christians who were pursuing excellence in their respective fields. And like Galileo, it was because of their belief in God that drove some of those scientific discoveries. For just a moment this morning, I want to do like Paul and how he did the rapid fire. Hey, man, I'm running out of paper here. I just want to shoot a few things at you. I'm going to give you several examples of famous scientists that you've probably heard of who were driven to discover and to do what they did because of their faith. One of those is Sir Isaac Newton. Nod your head if you've heard of this guy before. Apple, you may hit him on the head. He is the, uh, he formulated the laws of gravity and motion. He was actually an earnest believer in God. His his belief in the divinity of Jesus is not probably where a lot of ours is. He was a little bit more like Thomas Jefferson in that belief, but he firmly believed in a creator God. And if you read through what we have from Sir Isaac Newton, you'll actually see that he writes more about God and theology than he does about physics. Another example is Michael Faraday. Considered to be one of the greatest experimental scientists ever, discovered the connection between electricity uh, and magnetism. You might have heard of uh, the Faraday constant, the Faraday cage. He's that Faraday. He's, he's that guy. He was also a devoted believer, follower of Jesus Christ. And then the guy who followed in Faraday's steps is a man named John Clark Maxwell. Uh, he was actually a church elder In Scotland, And we have a prayer that was written by John Clark Maxwell, and it describes his connection between his scientific study and his faith. And uh, let me just read this prayer right now. That's an old-timey language because it comes from a couple hundred years back. He says, Almighty God, who has created man in thine own image and made him a living soul, that he might seek after thee and have dominion over the creatures. Teach us to study the works of thy hand." that we may subdue the earth to our use and strengthen the reason for thy service. And so to receive a blessed word that we may believe on him whom thou dost sent to give us the knowledge of salvation and the remission of our sins, all which we we ask in the name of the same Jesus Christ our Lord. The reason I mention those guys is because uh, Albert Einstein had portraits of those three scientific explorers, Newton, and Faraday, and uh, John Clark Maxwell. In his study, they were like the heroes for him, the posters on the wall of the people that he looked up to. And all three of them, believers, uh, believers in God. Uh, Charles Darwin, you might have heard of Charles Darwin. Uh, his closest collaborator was a man named Asa Gray. And unlike Darwin, Gray saw nature as filled with unmistakable and irresistible indications of design. And throughout their partnership, their collaboration together, Gray tried to persuade Darwin to return to Christianity. He would tell him, God himself is the very last irreducible causal factor, and hence the source of all evolutionary change. A man of great faith, right there working alongside with Charles Darwin. Gregor Mendel, the founding genius of genetics, was a Roman Catholic friar, a lot like Nacho, the friar-turned-professional wrestler that I mentioned a little bit earlier. And he just discovered a lot of what he did while working at St. Thomas Abbey, growing pea plants and just studying how genetics works in the plant world. And those are all examples, you, people that you may have heard of. And you might be sitting there thinking, okay, those are good examples. But the argument kind of goes, yeah, religion and faith was useful in a time of scientific discovery, but haven't we advanced beyond that? Don't we know more now than even these scientific explorers. If I send my kid to college today and they want to study a scientific field, isn't it true that they will not find people of faith? Isn't it true that they are going to be, like, taken away from the faith that they grew up with? Well, that's a good question, and a lot of people have that. If you send your kid to MIT, then they might be taught by some of these folks. Ian Hutchinson, professor of nuclear science, who is also a Christian. Daniel Hastings, Professor of Aeronautics and Astronautics. All these people, by the way, are followers of Jesus. Jin Kong, uh, Professor of Electrical Engineering. Linda Griffith, who teaches Mechanical Engineering. Dick Yu, also teaches Mechanical Engineering. Chris Love, Doug Laupenberger, Anne McCants, MIT's first female president, Susan Hockfield. Many of these professors, by the way, didn't grow up in church, but they came to faith well into their scientific careers. There's a chemistry professor at MIT named Troy Van Horst, who became uh, a believer and a follower of Christ while he was a grad school uh, student right here at Cal Berkeley, of all places. How about that? Or Francis Collins, who led the Human Genome Project and later became the director of the National Institutes for Health. Check out this video interview that we have of Francis Collins, who talks about not having grown up with faith, but becoming a believer while he uh, became a professional in his field, and they ask him this question Isn't there a conflict between your faith in Jesus Christ and the work that you do in the scientific community? And this is what uh, Collins says. Go ahead and show us that, Claire.
1: Sometimes people have a hard time understanding that nice
0: someone a serious scientist and also deeply religious.
2: I was not always that way. I was an atheist until I was in um, my mid 20s. Um, medical school and confronting life and death forced me to recognize that I hadn't really thought these issues through, and questions about is there a God, and what happens after you die. Science couldn't help me with those, I had to go to other sources, and ultimately, to my surprise, with some reluctance, I became a believer. But I don't see a conflict there, and 40% of working scientists agree with me, even though they don't talk about it very much. It's a different kind of question. Science is really good at answering questions that start with, how? How does that work? But faith is better sometimes at answering questions like, why? Why am I here? (laughs) uh, Why why do we have this thing called morality and we feel drawn to it? Why, Why am I touched by an experience of beauty, of music, or a beautiful sunset? I need faith for those. And I want to be able to ask those questions too. And the mistake happens, I think, though, when you get muddled up about which kind of question is being posed and how you should approach it. But for me, when I see God as the author of everything, both nature and of our spiritual leanings, it seems to me there shouldn't be a conflict in the answers that I come up with. because it's all part of God's giving to us the chance to learn about creation and all aspects of that, including about God himself.
0: This is an important conversation to have, and obviously we're kind of just scratching the surface this morning. I would love to spend more time having talks and responses to some of these big questions of of like, where did we come from? The origins of of the universe and matter. And uh, I'm not the one who could speak real competently about that. I get like five minutes into the conversation and go, yeah, I don't know anything else. (laughs) This is all I can remember. But I just wanted to point out that there are people in the conversation, people of faith, who are not afraid to go where the the studies lead them. If we believe that uh, Jesus is the truth and the way and the life then we shouldn't be afraid of what is true and discoveries that say, oh, wow, that changes how I think about things. Or that's, that's an aspect of the universe that I had no idea was even there. It can lead us to a greater sense of wonder and awe for the, the detail that God has given us in the universe that we experience. I mean, we could look really, really close at really, really small things, or we could zoom way out and look at these big things and just go, man, I want to know more because I believe that God's hand was involved in this and in me, and in the relationships that I have and that I enjoy every day. There's a scientist by the name of Anthony Flew. He grew up in church, and then he abandoned his faith because of the classic problem, the classic question that doesn't get a good answer a lot of the time. God is good, God is powerful, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering in the world? That's going to be one of the questions that we will take a lot more time to address in two weeks, maybe I think three weeks. It's coming. But that's the reason he left faith. He said, I can't reconcile those things. Either God can do something about it and won't or he can't do something about it and he's not worth following. He's either not loving or he's not powerful. He can't be both if there's suffering in the world. And he walked away from his faith. And he studied science. And he excelled in the field that he studied. And he kind of just said, you know what? I want to discover the universe. I want to understand things. And I don't need God to do that. But in his older age, I think he was in like his 70s or something like that, he came back to a belief in God, and it was because of the science that he was studying. It was because of the advancements in the field of DNA. We were able to say, like, okay, we have a better understanding about how our genetics are mapped because of DNA and the uniqueness with, with every single human being has. He looked at that, and he looked at the research, and he went, you know what? I can't deny that there's an intelligent designer. I can't deny that we see the fingerprints of a careful and loving creator in that. I don't think he became a full-on follower of Jesus, but he went from being very staunchly atheist and saying, I can study science without God, to saying, like, I can't study science without God. It's right there. And the more that I study it, the more I just, it becomes clear to me. Again, lots of issues and conversations and questions, but I encourage you to lean into those. And don't be like Escalito scared in the wrestling ring and making that distinction. I don't believe in God. I only believe in science. It doesn't have to be bold. Maybe you already knew that. There's a lot of people out there on the unbelieving side who think that all Christians are anti-science and just fingers in their ears like the Galileo's Catholic Church and just doesn't want to hear it. But that's not the truth. And there's also a lot of people on the believing, on the Jesus following side that said like, ah, don't mess with that you get too far into that, it'll drag you away from your faith. But that's not necessarily true either. And that's the main thing that I wanted to bring out this morning. I want to point out a little closer to home, we kind of went wide with some historical scientists, and then we went to some present-day MIT scientists, but those are still all the way across the country. You may or may not have known, there are a lot of people in this church who have studied science, who are professional science uh, scientists, science teachers, and have studied with a scientific background. As more I thought about this, I was like, oh yeah, maybe, oh, yeah, oh yeah, these people, just like all different kinds of fields of study. Real quick, just so you can look around and be like, oh yeah, that's true. I want you in a moment to raise your hand if you studied science in school as it led to your profession, if you work in some kind of scientific field today or have done so and are retired or whatever. Science people, raise your hand. Everybody look around and be like, huh. Look at these nerds! All the smarty pants folks in our church. I don't mean nerd in a derogatory sense. I mean that with all due respect. I am grateful for the work that you guys do. The scientific community is is helpful and blesses our lives in a number of ways. I uh, thought about all these different science people. I singled out one and I asked our buddy Tom Spinka, uh, who you guys know, uh, and he works at the lab. A professional scientist working in a professional active scientific field. I asked him if he would come up here and just tell us a little bit about his faith this morning. So he's gonna come up. I'm going to transition to some stools and I'm gonna interview Tom and you guys will get a chance to. Ah, sorry, Brett hates it when I do that, but gotta get that stand out of the way sometimes. Tom, welcome. Welcome to the stage. Thanks. Uh, everybody say hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. Is your mic on? Uh, I think so. Nice. Cool.
1: He's got me Good. Yeah.
0: you sing a lot of bass on our praise team, so you're, you're not unfamiliar with the microphone usage. You'll do just fine. Uh, I will start by just telling us a little bit briefly about yourself and what you do professionally.
1: Sure. So I think you don't know. Yeah. So uh, so I was uh, uh, I majored in astronomy and electrical engineering in my um in My college and graduate careers, um, electrical engineering. Actually, uh, Jacob pointed out Faraday and Maxwell. Uh, Maxwell's equations are more or less the entire basis for electrical engineering, um, and so those uh, those formed the basis for for uh, probably more more of my classes than I have you know fingers on my hands to <laughs> um, uh, to, to describe them. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, science through and through uh, physics, mathematics, um, and uh, as I transitioned from from school uh, to my professional career uh, here at the lab um, in 2010, um, and in the last couple of years of my graduate school as well, I focused on optics and lasers. So now I am a laser physicist, um, and I design and build lasers for a living, um, which is as awesome as it sounds. Um, <laughs> And um, I, at this point, uh, I, I lead a group of about 40 scientists um, that also design and build big lasers. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about science, but I am also all about uh, being a Christian in that context.
0: Awesome. That's super cool. Yeah. Next question. Can you tell us something confidential that you're not allowed to say to anybody that's going on at the lab? Of course not. Okay. <laughs> had to try. <laughs> Uh, okay, real question. I've been talking this morning about uh, this science versus religion dichotomy you know this, this belief that you'll hear espoused by people you know subtly and directly. Have you encountered any of these any versions of this
1: like uh, you can't be both? Yeah, so um, maybe maybe not quite specifically, you can't have both, but uh, but very much and sort of all of the time, there's a sense for religion isn't needed right religion is 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 a thing of the past um, and most if not all of my uh, sort of direct co-workers um, think religion is, is is an extra right and uh, science is is their way of life uh, it is their um, their passion in many cases uh, and in many cases, they just don't see a need, and they don't see, that, see religion as, um, as something to be taken seriously. Um, but there are cracks in the facade, um, and, and God has a tendency to, to work in, in sometimes subtle ways uh, in people's lives. And it is generally the times of people's lives where they are hurting, or in pain or they can't control their situation where they wonder what what's missing right and uh, it, so very much in my experience uh, in my professional career um, it has been those times when science can't explain um, as, as was uh, mentioned in the video science can't explain what happens after death science can't explain why we are created and how we are created. Um, you know, you can describe details, but, but ultimately when it comes down to it, the details of, of how one molecule interacts with another is, is not ultimately satisfying. Um, and, and people, people recognize uh, when, when they, particularly when they, when they feel like they've lost control over their situation or lost control over their lives, or are in deep need, um, uh, either through uh, through a major life event, uh, the the loss of a parent or a sibling, or um, or, or you know they they've, they've missed a promotion that they thought they were going to get, um, and they, they just start to question. Um, and the and the other uh, the other opportunity or the the other uh, way in which I see people missing scientists that that. Recognize that they're missing something is uh, even after full careers uh, in in scientific or, or or mathematics or or sort of deeply engineering uh, a career, people will still feel unfulfilled and directionless. Um, and again, that's a thing that science can't necessarily give you, right? Um, and God is God. Offers that sense of direction and peace, and and it's a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah. Well said, I appreciate that. Um, are you the only scientist
1: that you are the only scientist who is
0: a Christian that you know or that you work with?
1: So, uh, work with, um, not quite, but almost. Mm-hmm. Um, very few of the people that I work with uh, are Christians, but. Uh, as Jacob pointed out, and everybody raised their hand earlier, um, there's many, many examples of Christians uh, who are in scientific fields, and and um, those those people do kind of stick out a little bit. Yeah, at work,
0: that's cool. We've talked about this before too. and Just like you know, God give me an opportunity, give me a, a window, and uh, just kind of being ready and planting seeds for, like you said, when people are. More receptive times in their life when they're more like, "Oh, I'm ready to hear this. I'm ready to hear a different explanation." Or, you know, things are out of control. Um, what have you found is a helpful way to share your faith or to, to be the light of Christ in an in an environment like the one that you work in? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, I want to share actually um, one of one of my favorites, um, one of my favorite verses uh, from First Peter chapter two, uh, verses eleven and twelve. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, so foreigners in this case can be not just, um, you know, from a different land, um, but of a different type of people, foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which waged war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That really is the the way to to interact with people and to to be the light of God in in our lives. And this is not just for you know a, a Christian scientist in a in a predominantly um, sort of agnos- agnostic or or even atheistic scientific community. This is each and every one of us in our broader community. Um, we need to and we. It is our responsibility to live our lives in a way that is worthy of being God's hands and feet in this world. Um, and that has been the open door for me a couple of times in my career. People have said, there's something different about you. What is it? And, and that, those are the times where God is saying, you know, through, through me, I'm here. I can be that answer that you need, that purpose in your life, um, and God has worked through me um, a, a, few, a few times, um, and it's an it's an amazing thing. Uh, but it, it's it is through those repeated and and, and just those minor differences, right? The, the the depth of care, the depth of love for um, uh, that I have for my coworkers, um, isn't shared by everybody um, in in my professional setting. And and just living our lives in a way that is glorifying to God, um, God uses those things um, and and those those actions and those words that we have and we say and we do um, to be the to to worm His way in through people's walls that they they build up against God. Yeah, amen to that.
0: Uh, someone wants to clap for that. Uh, at least you clap. That's good. That's a good word. We could celebrate when we hear that kind of stuff. Is there anything else that you wanted to to sure. share or say? Yeah,
1: just one just one thing, uh, and I think it kind of echoes actually what what Jacob was was getting at near the end of his uh, his sermon is um, test your faith. Uh, if you have doubts, um, and if you uh, if you have if if you are are academically or scientifically inclined, um, ask those difficult questions. Because it is through wrestling with those questions um, that you find answers and you you find that God and God's Word um, will stand up to those tests um, and your faith um, will grow because of them. Um, So so test your faith um, and ask hard questions uh, and wrestle with them in in all seriousness. and and there are many many examples, as as Jacob mentioned and, and some of which he highlighted, of people who struggled mightily with the Lord, um, though it was they didn't necessarily believe that it was struggling with God at the time. They struggled with their their questions of why and why am I here and how have I been created and how is the world this beautiful, um, and they have come to the conclusion, um, as have I, that. You know God's story is real and Jesus' resurrection uh, is real and is supported um, with a massive body of evidence. Um, and so, I, I just encourage each and every one of you, whatever your walk of life or whatever your career um, or wherever you are in your life, to wrestle with God um, because He will answer um, in, in, in ways that are. Um, maybe sometimes surprising, but he will always stand up to that test. Amen.
0: Awesome. I should let you preach more often, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, and I also appreciate what you said earlier. This is where I wanted to end this morning is just whatever you do, do it in a manner worthy of the gospel. Like, represent Christ well in whatever it is that you do. I've got to, This is the last paragraph of the last page that I have here. Uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Whatever you do, do it in a manner worthy of the gospel. We are, we are messengers of the good news that Jesus was crucified, but is alive by the power of God. And we have hope and salvation through that. And to just make that available to people where we work, in the fields that we study, in our neighborhoods. just Do it all in a manner worthy of the gospel. This series is going to go on through the month of July. We Next week, we're going to answer the questions people will often raise about, like, what about the, the Bible? It seems pretty anti-woman. What do you say in response to that? We've got some good responses. Uh, and also, doesn't the Bible condone slavery? Isn't that uh, embarrassing mark on the the church's record we're going to talk about those things next week the following week we're going to respond to the question isn't christianity homophobic how do christians how should christians faithfully interact with the gay community and the answer might surprise you so i'm looking forward to that one Uh, that's coming up in two weeks and then i think the last one of the month like i said earlier is that big question uh what about all the suffering in the world where's god In that, how how do you respond to that? So these these are good questions that we're going to equip ourselves with, uh, prayerfully work through. And like Tom said, you know, big stuff. We're not going to be afraid to face it, but we're going to engage and we're going to wrestle with it. We're going to we're going to dive in. So I'm looking forward to that. I appreciate Tom uh, what you're doing professionally for this church as well. You're a good dude. I'm glad that you guys got to hear Tom this morning. I'm going to close this out with a prayer, and then we're going to ask uh, Phil Weiss to come up here and uh, lead us in some prayers for the congregation. Lord, thank you so much for uh, just opportunities to see the ways that you're at work, to see the beauty of your creation, to see the, the, the small things and the big things and the things that are beyond our control and just to marvel at them. And the privilege, we thank you for the privilege of knowing where this comes from knowing that there's an explanation of a personal God who sees us and knows us and pursues us and loves us. God, each week we come and we celebrate that love and we just throw ourselves on your mercy and say thank you. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for uh, rescuing us, for noticing us and giving us purpose. We just pray that we can continue to extend that invitation to anyone who is willing to hear it, willing to receive it. And those who aren't, Teach us to be loving, kind, respectful, and gentle, and patient. Uh, But we just pray in all things that your kingdom will continue to come, and that our neighborhoods will look more like Jesus, our world will look more like the world that you intended because of the work of the church, because of our faithful service to you. We pray all this, we ask all of this, in the name of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right.